You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. I had an email from a very nice lady called Katie a few weeks ago who requested that during my shows I reveal a little more about myself. With this in mind... Fact number 62. I detest any song that begins with... (laughs) Basically, if you're a song and you begin with... (laughs) Then I shall perform the stink face throughout your running time. Hope that helps, Katie. Next week, hear all about my frozen condensed milk fetish. Hey, waiter. 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 Oh, waiter. 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 This is ridiculous. Phil, did you have a seated poor service? I'm going to call a manager. Take it easy, Walt. I think Walt has a point. We can hardly be expected to wait all morning for our fifth round of whiskies. What's mostly wrong is your grouch. I'm sorry, Phil, but my digestion is so upset. What you may need for your poor digestion is something that works after nature's own order. Or drink less. Try Carter's Little Liver Pill. Good advice. When your digestion is upset and you feel headachy and irritable, take Carter's Little Liver Pill. You see, each day nature normally produces about two pints of a vital digestive juice to help digest your food. If nature fails, your food may remain undigested, leaving you headachy and irritable. And hungover. To feel cheerful and happy again. Drink in the evenings. Take Carter's little liver pill. So, quite literally, Walt, take a chill pill. There's still a week or so to get your Christmas greetings in. I just need you to record a Christmas greeting for everyone out there and send it to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com. So all you Grindhouse Daves and Sparky Wrights and Crocoducks and Paul Herwoods and all you other wonderful folks, do record one and send it along. May your every wish come true. You know, nothing sells a foaming cleanser like a bum. Tuesday deck, the foaming cleanser. Clean pots and pans, just like a whiz. Movie time. The first film I want to tell you about this week is The Phantom Creeps, starring Bailey Lugosi as Dr. Zorka. Of course. A mad scientist who's obsessed with creating weapons of warfare, including the following. A devisualizer belt that, when worn, renders its user invisible. The name Invisibility Belt was already trademarked. Robot spiders that have the power to kill or paralyze. The choice is yours. A meteorite fragment with the power to place an entire army into suspended animation. Magic rocks? It sure does. And lastly, an eight-foot-tall robot slave that looks like Keith Flint from The Prodigy. He's a firestarter. A twisted firestarter. 
There's a cracking scene at the beginning where he activates the robot with a remote control box that has six buttons. He presses button number three, which makes the robot walk around the room like a drunk WWF wrestler, and then do a salute. There are only six buttons on that remote control, and to have assigned a funny walk and a salute to one of only six buttons doesn't fill you with too much faith in Dr. Zorka's common sense, to be honest. So then a car arrives, and basically Dr. Zorka says, Oop, it's the wife come to pick me up from my robot work. I must be off. That will be my wife. She wants to take me away. The explanations are brilliant, too. That disc there is magnetized by a positive ray with my new element, which is unknown to science. I'm with you, yes. This is making perfect sense to me, this is. Just keep talking like that, and I'm going to know exactly how this works. I'm not going to lie to you. At exactly five minutes into this, there exists the worst sequence of film in the history of cinema. Dr. Zorka sends one of his robot spiders to kill a plant. So he puts the thing on the floor and we watch as it's dragged along by a string held by what I can only assume is the member of the film crew voted most unskilled at spider dragging in his high school yearbook. It literally is dragged, bumping and falling across the carpet. His legs do not move once until it touches the plant. You then get a sorry little pyrotechnic fart and the tree withers and dies. Withers and dies, you say? That's an impressive feat of cinema to have achieved. Actually, you'd be wrong about that. They achieve the withering effect by some hideously amateur stop motion, so you have leaves and branches just disappearing. It's the absolute worst special effect ever created. And I say this having seen the Scorpion King at the end of The Mummy Returns. Describing it cannot fully do it justice, so I will be providing a link to a clip in the show notes for this episode. Do me a favour, drop everything you're doing, click on the link right now and watch it. I'll wait. But while Dr. Zorka was performing this magnificent experiment, someone was spying. Do you know how we know? Here's how we know. You! You were spying! Bailey Lugosi, clearly the inspiration for the Arnold Schwarzenegger school of acting. Spying! So anyway, the US government want to use Zorka's inventions for the military, but Zorka wants to do with it as he wishes. I shall do with it as I wish. Not hand it over to the government as we would have him. Not hand it over to the government as you would have me. The best thing is that Dr. Zorka has an assistant called Monk, who's an escaped convict, who keeps ruining Zorka's inventions by mistake. The first thing he messes up is Zorka's de-visualizer belt, which he turns into a belt of burning pain. Did you carry out my instructions regarding the work to be done on this? Yes, sir. I strengthened the ionizer, but I was afraid to use it. I'm not afraid. (laughs) They think they know everything that I have, but they know nothing of this de-visualizer that will conceal me from my enemies. Then he allows the magical army-killing meteorite to be stolen by government agents. Now the source of it is gone. They shall not keep it. No government shall possess my power. I know where Bob has to stake in my meteor. Silly monk. You have failed, monk. 
As movie experiences go, it has to be said, The Phantom Creeps is one of the most inept films I've ever seen. The script is ridiculous, the special effects are so bad that it wouldn't surprise me if the producers had asked the effects department for a refund. Just wait till you see the robot. It has metal eyebrows, for God's sake. It also features the most ridiculous plane crash in history, alongside a cast that's so bland and indistinguishable that they could quite possibly have all been played by the same person. Apart from Lugosi, of course, who throws himself feet first into what's going on. This was made just before his triumphant return from obscurity and Son of Frankenstein, and he'd obviously missed acting in movies. He's almost feverish with excitement, and by far the most interesting thing happening on screen. Interesting bit of trivia. This was the first film to use credits that scrolled up the screen, which from here on in became a kind of trope of pulp cinema. So bizarrely, you could say that The Phantom Creeps had a direct effect on Star Wars. Don't watch it, though, for the love of God, unless you want to see a meteorite-wielding, invisible, mad scientist controlling a giant, bold robot with metal eyebrows and pointy teeth and sending exploding spiders to kill his houseplants. Actually, when I say it like that, it sounds like the greatest movie ever made. You have failed, monk! Second movie I want to tell you about is a time-travelling fantasy romance starring Dick Powell and Linda Darnell, and it's entitled It Happened Tomorrow. Time is only an illusion. March 18th, 1875. To the people then, uh, this was the future, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, supposing we were all living on that date in 1875, Mm -hmm. and I arrived with this book. I can tell you everything... That will happen. (laughs) Well, give me the one for the year we're living in now, Pop, and you can name your own price. No, just 24 hours from now. I'd hit the front page with my first story. That's what I want, Pop, tomorrow's newspaper. How much? Dick Powell plays Lawrence Stevens, a reporter at the turn of the century who's visited by the ghost of an old man who gives Lawrence a magical newspaper that carries all the news for the next 24 hours before it's happened. Lawrence quickly uses the power of the newspaper to not only get the scoop on his rival reporters and get rich by betting at the races, but also to romance the girl of his dreams, a magician's assistant named Sylvia, played by Linda Darnell. You know, I knew this suit looks good. It's the first time I've liked it. I'm sorry, I looked in the closet. Couldn't find a girl's dress anyplace. I should hope not. Matter of fact, I don't care. Well, I'm glad you're not the jealous type. What would I be jealous of? Well, if you cared at all, I'd have to tell you that I'm a very busy character. I haven't got time to be interested in girls. Oh! Last night in the cab, you didn't act like a man who's not interested in girls. Last night? Great Scott! What? Was it only last night we met? It isn't long, though, before Larry's power draws the attention of the police, who are very interested in exactly how he seems to know the details of certain crimes before they've happened. And to make matters worse, Larry reads in the latest edition of his magical newspaper that he's going to be shot to death the next evening in the lobby of a hotel, and it seems as though nothing can prevent it from taking place. I have an overnight assignment for you. I can't make it. I have an appointment at 6.25. Cancel it. I'll do my best. I got a tip something big is going to break. I'll give you the address. Never mind, I I know where it is. Where? St. George Hotel. St. George Hotel? That's not it. The other side of town. You mean you're not sending me to the St. George Hotel? Can't you read? Mr. Gordon, aren't you making a mistake? Am I in the habit of making mistakes, young man? Now you get in the cab and get over there right away. 
All right. But I'm afraid I'm going to wind up at the St. George Hotel at 6.25, no matter where I go. Stevens, forget that assignment I gave you. Huh? Go to the St. George Hotel. What for? Oh, you know what for, my boy. You've got the best nose for news in this town. If you said St. George Hotel, you had a reason to say St. George Hotel. No, you no, can't no, fool no. me. I know where your appointment is. It's 6.15 now. Hurry up. I don't want you to be late. The film was originally planned for Frank Capra. He purchased the rights and fully intended to go into production, but he became really involved in morale-building films during World War II and had to limit the amount of films he was making in Hollywood. So he sold the rights and uh, it was made by René Clair, who really does a fantastic job of bringing the whole thing to life. It could quite easily be mistaken for a Frank Capra film. It's certainly the kind of high concept, sentimental fantasy that Capra was so renowned for. Basically, if you're a fan of Capra corn, as it was so brilliantly labeled, then you'll love this. It swings wildly between being a high-concept romance to a light-hearted fantasy to a sweetly charming period piece to a wishful-thinking adventure and peopled by a really charming cast of supporting characters. You have the cantankerous copper, the uh, blustering newspaper editor, the softly-spoken wise old man, the, uh, <laughs> the portly comic relief uncle. Capra himself couldn't have cast it any better. Larry was originally to have been played by Cary Grant, but he went off to work on Arsenic and Old Lace instead, uh, ironically for Frank Capra. And the part went to Dick Powell, who after this chose to reinvent himself as a serious dramatic actor by starring as Philip Marlowe in Murder My Sweet. It's not for cynics, for sure, but if you want a rose-tinted fantasy with, uh, with Frank Capra overtones and a good heart, then look no further. Time for some radio. Here's an original thought. Who's a fan of game shows? From 1947 to 1960, the most popular quiz show on the air was You Bet Your Life, which was hosted by the one and only Groucho Marx. Contestants were introduced in pairs and given a set amount of cash, and then asked a series of questions. For each question, they could bet as much of their money as they liked on getting the answer right. And if they did, that amount was added to their bankroll. Whichever couple earned the most money throughout the show got to come back and play for the jackpot. Running alongside this was a secret word competition. If any of the couples said the secret word at any point in the show, then they'd instantly win $100. The pure delight of You Bet Your Life wasn't so much in the game as it was in the banter between Groucho and the contestants. In fact, very little of the show was taken up by the game itself. Most of it was Groucho meeting the folks and ripping the tar out of them. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither. Some of the contestants included Phyllis Diller, who went on to become one of America's most enduring stand-up comics, Ray Bradbury, just before he took off as an author. Harlan Sanders, who appeared as a contestant and actually talked about his finger-licking chicken recipe before launching it as the Kentucky Fried Chicken brand a few years later and rebranding himself as Colonel Sanders. Dawes Butler, who was the voice of Huckleberry Hound. William Peter Blatty, who won $10,000 and used the money to quit his job and write The Exorcist. The list was endless and endlessly fascinating. Anyway, if you haven't heard it before, you're in for a treat. And if you have heard it before, then shut up and listen again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is Ruth. R-O-O-F. Really? You bet your life. 
the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. Have you seen? Did you ride? Did, Did you, you drive a new DeSoto? Hurry up. Do it now at your dealers today. It's designed for you and your budget, too. It's the 1952 DeSoto. It's here. Yes, it's here. The new 1952 DeSoto is now on display at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Be sure to see this beautiful new car. Listen for further details later in this program. And here he is, the one, the only... Name's familiar. Oh, that's me! Mm -hmm. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples. Uh, who's first to try for the $1,500, uh, G.F.? Well, we asked if there are any bachelors in schools. You don't mind if I call you G.F.? No, it's perfectly all right. Yeah. We asked if there are any bachelors... What would you object to? <laughs> We asked if there were any <laughs> We asked if there were any bachelors or spinsters in the audience tonight, and just before we went on the air, Miss Sidney Ball and Mr. Frank Finch were selected. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Say the secret word and you'll divide a hundred dollars. It's a common word, something you find around the house. Miss uh, Sidney Ball. Now, let's see, Miss Sidney, you're a spinster? That's right. A mighty fine-looking spinster. May I ask your age? You aren't obliged to tell the truth, in fact. You aren't even expected to, but... Uh... <laughs> may I say 44 and a half? Yes, you may. <laughs> Which half of the 44 are you? <laughs> the long half. Oh, the long half. Well, you're pretty cute. Where, where, where are you from, uh, Sydney? Oh, I was born in Kansas. In Kansas? Yes. And uh, where, where are you from, uh, Frank? Frank Finch, huh? I've been 30 years in Los Angeles, but I'm from San Antonio, Texas. Oh. You like it? You prefer it up here? 30 years seems so. Not necessarily. There might be a price on you in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you, my lad? Past 50. Mm -hmm. A guarded statement have I ever heard of. <laughs> are, you, are you interested in matrimony, uh, Mr. Finch? Or are you still on the fence? Well, I'm still on the fence. What a feeble jape that is, huh? You still on the fence? Why? Well, that's all. Sometimes I, I think the price of coffee and things like that for two. Well, you don't have to marry coffee. That's a... Imagine a guy on his knees about to propose to a girl and he suddenly thinks of the price of coffee. That would be grounds for something. I don't know. <laughs> what sort of work do you do, uh, Mr. Finch, besides sidestepping? Eh? What's that? I'm a real estate broker. Oh, a real estate. Really? Well, if you got married, at least you'd have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have a job, uh, uh, Miss Ball? Yes, I'm a policewoman. A policewoman? Yes. A copper, and you still haven't caught a man? <laughs> <laughs> No. Are, you, are you really a policewoman? Yes, I'm really a policewoman. You're police pretty tiny woman. to be a copper, aren't you? Well, it's no surprise having you on the show. We've been expecting the police for a long time. <laughs> Would you mind pinching me? I want to see if I'm alive. <laughs> I never made a nicer pinch. 
Well, thank you, Sam Spade. <laughs> Two clubs. No, that's another game. Has anything exciting ever happened in your job that you could tell us about? Uh, yes, uh, many exciting things. Uh, I might say Lincoln Heights Jail, while it's a very tragic place, at the same time, it's a very humorous place. And not so long ago, we had a uh, woman come in, and uh, she took a look at me, and she said, You know, you look just like my bulldog. <laughs> so I went on about my work, and a little later in the evening, I went back and... And bitter, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like being logical. (laughs) I went back and she uh, said to me, she was very nervously pacing up and down behind the bars, and she said to me, gee, I wish I was out. And uh, she said, I must be out tomorrow. And I said, well, what's so important? You must be out tomorrow. She said, well, there's a dog show in Glendale, and if I was out, I'd enter you. My guess is that that woman is still there. (laughs) Well, let's get back to your romance. Uh, uh, What kind of a man are you looking for, uh, Miss Ball? Well, I'd like a man about my own age, of course, and uh, just the comfy home type. (laughs) Well, don't overlook uh, Frank over here. (laughs) You marry him, at least you'll have a roof over your head. Of course, he'll sell it any time he can make a nickel on (laughs) it. Well, you're a charming couple, and, uh, Frank, from here on, you have my permission to take the law into your own hands. <laughs> and I hope you get a life sentence. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question. Right now, this should hold your interest. Have you seen? Did you ride? Did, Did you, you drive a new DeSoto? Hurry up. Do it now. At your dealers today. It's designed for you and your budget, too. It's the 1952 DeSoto. The new 1952 DeSoto. It's designed for you and your budget, too. The 1952 DeSoto is on display now at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers with a whole host of great features. Features like famous safety rim wheels, sensational Auroflow shock absorbers for the smoothest ride on the road, chair-high seats to give you a relaxing ride and a good view of the road ahead, handsome rear end, with a big rear window for greater visibility. Waterproof ignition to give you quick starts even in the wettest weather. From every angle, the beautiful 1952 DeSoto is your best car value today. It's designed for you and for your budget, too. See the 1952 DeSoto. It's on display now at your DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Uh, Mr. Fenneman, would you mind explaining the rules? Well, you bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions, and the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 DeSoto Plymouth question later on in the show. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected words ending in A-T-E. Here's your first question. How much will you bet? $14. What is the word beginning with I and ending with eight, meaning uh, to water the land? Irrigate. Irrigate is right. Well, to a good start, you have $34. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the $34 will you bet on your second question? 
Sadie? Fine. What is the word beginning with N and ending with 8 meaning to sail a ship? Navigate. Navigate. Navigators, right. <laughs> you now have $64. Here's your third question. How much will you bet? Sixty. $60. What is the word beginning with I, or with L, and ending with 8, meaning to set free? Start Liberate. Liberate. Liberate is right. <laughs> You've now climbed to $124. They get along beautifully. They're crazy if they don't get hooked up. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your last chance to be the other couples. How much of the $124 you're going to risk? $120. What is the word beginning with E and ending with 8, meaning to dig or to hollow out? Excavate. Excavate is right. Put it there, kid. Fine. I think you ought to give Frank a big kiss for doing so well on this thing. <laughs> and you wind up with $244. Wouldn't you kiss Frank for $244? Sure. <laughs> Get going, huh? <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. We asked for men with unusual occupations to volunteer from our audience, and just before we went on the air, Commander Ian Murray was chosen. His partner is a housewife, Mrs. Laurel Lee Hamilton. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to your bachelor life. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you find around the house. Mrs. Laura Lee Hamilton and Commander mm -hmm. Ian Murray. Is that, is that correct? That is correct, sir. Ian, huh? Eh? I-A-I-N. You kind of threw me for a minute. Eh? <laughs> Mrs., uh, Mrs. Hamilton, uh, does your husband call you Laurel or Hardy? Uh, <laughs> Neither, he, huh? he calls me his little honey. And uh, does he ever put the B on you? <laughs> no, that was the wrong thing to say, I guess. Huh? Where are you from, honey? Denver. Denver, huh? And uh, how old are you, honey? Well, I have a married daughter. Does that answer you? It doesn't answer me, but I'm beginning to catch on. <laughs> what sort of work does your husband do? Huh? Well, he's sort of a farmer. He is. We huh? have a little ranch. Oh, you have a little ranch. Mm -hmm. And you raise bees there? No. I'm the only honey. No, we have... <laughs> we have fruit uh, trees you're and pretty young You're a pretty young-looking woman. I have a, a grown-up daughter. How old is your daughter? Oh, well, she's 20. Oh. Tell us about the ranch, huh? And well, later about your daughter. <laughs> Not much later, either. <laughs> about now chicken. would be fine, I think. Huh? <laughs> Let's get the ranch. How tall is your daughter? Well, she's four and a half inches taller than I. Well, that, that lets and me she's out. very huh? slender. All right, back to the ranch now. <laughs> we got How'd 18 you chickens. You've got 18 chickens? Is Four that without your daughter or with your Four. daughter? <laughs> 48 fruit trees and all the vegetables in the world. We grow our own vegetables. It's only an acre. Oh. One oh. acre. You have a lot of stuff on there for an acre. How well, did you meet your husband? Well, it's kind of a long story. It was about two well, years ago. Well, you kind of synopsize it. Huh? All right. It was about... Cut it down to boy size. Huh? Well, this happened two years ago, and I'd been a widow for five years. And I'd saved up and decided to go to Honolulu, probably subconsciously in quest of a husband. I don't oh. know. But anyway, some now, friends now, drove now, me... Now, just, just a moment, honey. Don't tell me you didn't know why you went to Honolulu. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, some that friends... That boat is jo- full of buzzards going over there, grabbing <laughs> Anyway, some friends drove me down to the airport, and they spent an hour telling me about a fella they'd put on the boat two weeks before, and they said, he's a mama's boy, and he won't take you out, and he won't buy you corsages, and you won't like him. And uh, But anyway, call him up and tell him we sent our love, and maybe you'll get a free feed out of it. So maybe he'll at least take you to one dinner. So when I got in, I did call him, and that evening he invited me to dinner, and he was just wonderful. He was out of this world, and I said, this is for me. He was not at all like I expected. You want to know how he proposed to me? I'd like to. (laughs) Well? Did the the subject of coffee come up at all? (laughs) I don't remember that. Anyway, he had always said that trouble with marriage is... And I kept saying, oh, marriage can be so wonderful and everything. But he didn't weaken until about... I got home about a week ahead of him, and then he came over. And I hope your marriage lasts as long as this story. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get back to you in a minute, honey. Let me no, just I tell him how I propose. All how right. he proposed. Just that. <laughs> Please. He said he came over and he was. I have to very... be in Glendale at midnight. <laughs> he was awfully sad and miserable and dejected looking. He came in. Forget and I it. Said... Is your daughter happy? <laughs> I wish you'd let me talk. Uh, no, it's kind of funny. Yeah, well, I, I'd like to hear it, huh? <laughs> he came in and he was sad and I said, "What's the matter?" And he said, "Okay, honey, you win. I give in. I'll marry you." And that's all there was to it? I'll marry you, he said. Well, that's wonderful. I, and you're very happy together, and I'm, I'm glad to hear it. You look like a very happy woman. I am. Now, Commander Ian Murray, is that... Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I'm called, sir. Your, your friends call you Ian? Uh, no, sir, they call me Kadim, which is the... Uh, Kadim? Kadim. That's the initial. That's Pig Latin, name. isn't it? More or less, yeah, yes. Look, say, on the Kadim's case, they, they, that's where they talk. Right? Where are you from, Commander? Well, I was born in Canada, sir, but uh, at a very few weeks... Uh, my you were born in a very few weeks? No, sir. I was born in Canada. That's the rate of exchange over there. At the rate of a very few weeks, was taken to my ancestral home in Scotland. Oh, I see. Huh? Oh, you, you're in Scotland? Telebarden, Scotland. Telebarden. That so. sounds like a cheese, huh? Well, they Where did you get the title of, of commander, Ian? Were, were you in the service? Uh, yes, sir. I served for 28 years as a merchant service officer and uh, commander in the Royal Naval Reserve. Well, put it there, kid. Thank you, yeah. sir. Thank you, sir. Ian, tell me, are you married or have you had enough excitement? Oh, well, sir, I'm married for just about five years. Now, how'd you meet your wife? Well, my wife was a wren in the... Uh, she was a what? A wren, sir, in the You meet Royal her in a tree? Uh, no, sir, Royal <laughs> Navy this time. A what? In the Royal Navy. As a matter of fact, uh, she was a third officer, and that's about the lowest form of commissioned life, I think, in the British Navy. <laughs> she had the lowest form in the Navy? Lowest <coughs> commission. Where do you get home tonight, Ian? <laughs> Well, I learned a lot talking to you two. <laughs> and now you can learn something from me. For service, take your car to the man who knows it best, your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Now you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question. You run your $20 and more than our other couples. I can't tell you how much you have to win, but George is going to remind our listeners. The Bachelor and the Spinster won $244. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Explorers and Adventurers. Correct, sir. Here's your first question. How much will you bet? Fifteen. 
All right, 15. 15. Yes. What was the name of the English explorer who discovered Livingston in darkest Africa? Uh, d- uh, Robert St- Stanley. Stanley is right. Stanley. <laughs> well, you're on your way. You have $35. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the $35 will you bet on your second question? 34 What was the name of the Portuguese navigator who was the first to sail around the world? Ferdinand Magellan. Ferdinand Magellan is right. You're climbing. You have $69. Here's your third question. How much of the 69 are you going to try? 68 What was the name of... Uh, Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbo. You have $137. And here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much will you bet? Bet the lot. Okay. What was the name of the American soldier and explorer who explored with Kit Carson in Oregon? He later was appointed governor of California. Fremont. John C. Fremont is right. Put it there, Commander. And you wind up. Put it there. With $274. Oh. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. We invited some babysitters to the program tonight, and just before we went on the air, we selected Mrs. Ann Barnes. And Groucho, her partner, is a very unusual man. Um, I was in a drive-in the other night, and uh, I invited him to be a contestant on our show, and when you see him in just a minute, I think you're going to know why I asked him. So here they are. Mrs. Ann Barnes and Mr. Locke Martin meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Prince. Well, welcome, welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Say the secret word and win $100. It's a common word, something you find around the house. Lock Lohman, is that your name? No, Lock Martin. Oh, Lock Martin. How tall are you, Mr. Mountain? Seven feet, seven inches. Oh. Well, I'll just call you Mount Whitney, huh? <laughs> That's pretty high. Of course, the last time I saw anything your size, I was pretty high myself. <laughs> Where are you from, Lock? I was born in West Bridgewater, Pennsylvania. What kind of a place is that? I don't recall too much about it. We moved to Canyon City, Colorado when I was about three years old. That's where I was raised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when you said raised, you said you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> are, you, are you married, Locke? Yes, I am. Is your wife a tall girl? No, she's uh, five feet, five and a half inches tall. <laughs> well, that's tall enough. Uh, at least she comes up to your wallet. <laughs> I hope for your sake she doesn't come up there too often. <laughs> well, let's get some measurements. Uh, for, uh, how much do you weigh, uh, Locke? 280 pounds. Oh, well, that's quite a lot. Of, what do you eat at a normal meal? Well, I'd say I eat uh, just an average dinner. I probably don't eat any more than you do. I don't eat at all. (laughs) What size shoe do you wear? Well, they don't actually have a size. The best estimate so far has been size 18. Now, tell me, what are some of the advantages of being so tall, aside from the fact that you're over the smog belt? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's... uh... Rather nice when your car is parked out in a big parking lot. And you, I can usually spot it uh, pretty easy. And uh, <clears throat> if I lose my wife out in a big crowd, I can usually find her real quick. And you consider that an advantage? <laughs> Mrs. Barnes, I'm sorry to have neglected you, but uh, you must admit you're slightly overshadowed. 
You say you're a babysitter? How would you like to sit with this baby? Well, I think that'd be kind of nice. Well, if you ever sit with him, just be sure you get paid by the foot instead of by the hour. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get your, uh, your babysitting jobs, uh, Anne? Well, I get them through the uh, Babysitters Guild Incorporated, of which Mrs. Hanner is president. Oh. And she employs only women widows over 45 years of age. What are the duties of a babysitter specifically? Well, when you first get there, if it's a small child, you uh, don't do much except take instructions from the mothers to what should be done. If it's a child about a year and a half old, why well, you you just sort of visit with the mother and let the child sort of uh, decide that you're all right. That, In other words, uh, you take over the duties and problems of a mother. Is yes, that that's it. Well, usually the biggest problem facing the mother is the father. <laughs> Locke, let's get back to you for a moment. I imagine you've had many unusual experiences. Do you find the, the whole world is out of step with you? It does seem that way. Uh, things just aren't made for people my size. What sort of work do you do? I work at, uh, as a host at Bob's Drive-In Restaurant out in Van Nuys. People are always driving in there and asking me how I got so big. I tell them from eating Bob's hamburgers. Well, you said you know your onions, all right. Well, as a tall man, do you think the human race would be better if, if all of us were as big as you are? Well, probably bigger bodies wouldn't help the human race. Probably what the human race would benefit by would be bigger hearts. Okay. Well, Locke, you're a very high-class type fellow, is all I can say about you. And uh, you're a very unusual couple in the... Quality has been every bit as good as the quantity. Thank you. Are you going to play your bet your life for a chance at the $1,500 question? You run your $20 uh, and the more than our other couples. I can't tell you how much you have to win, but George is going to remind our listeners. Commander Murray and the housewife are ahead with $274. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected familiar abbreviations. Our source for these abbreviations is the Encyclopedia Americana. Here's your first question. How much will you bet? Fifteen dollars? Fifteen dollars is fine. Okay. What do the initials RFD stand for? I imagine it's rural free delivery. Rural free delivery is right. And now you have thirty-five dollars. How much of the thirty-five dollars will you bet on your second question? How about uh, thirty-four dollars? Oh, no, a little more than that. Thirty-four dollars and ninety-nine cents, or ninety-eight cents? <laughs> Okay. She wants 30... to go higher than he is. <laughs> <laughs> How much? Which will be? Thirty-four ninety-nine. Thirty-four ninety-nine. What do you say? Okay. That'll give, that'll give Fenneman a fine time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what do the initials RPM stand for? Revolutions per minute. Revolutions per minute. Here's your third question. I haven't told them how much they have I yet. I don't care how much. <laughs> Here's your third question. How much are you going to bet? Of your $69.99. We're saving a penny. I hadn't counted on you at all, friend. <laughs> you want to save a penny? One penny. That would be what? $69.98. All right, here we go for $69.98. Sounds like a coat with two pair of pants. <laughs> what do the initial COD stand for? It's not cash on, on delivery. delivery. It's collect on delivery. Collect on delivery is right. <laughs> <laughs> You're still saving the penny. 
How much have they got? Oh, Which I'm lost. Here we are. <laughs> I think it's 139. Here's a man went to Stanford. He graduated from Stanford with high honors. Uh, 139. He was on the football team. That's a water boy. $139.97, our director. He used to show. stuff the stuffing back into the uniform. Oh, you feel safe. Let's bet it all this time. That's right. Okay. Bet it all. Okay, here we go. What do the initials P.S. stand for? Postscript. Postscript is right. Good <laughs> well, well, I can see it. You have $279.94. <laughs> And that means that you, in just one minute, get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. Next time you visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealer, notice the facilities he has in order to serve you better. His offices, his showroom, where he displays the beautiful new 1952 DeSoto and the handsome Plymouth. His service shops, where you get better work done on your car at a price that's reasonable. And his used car lot, where you can be sure of finding the car that best fills your needs and best fits your pocketbook. Yes, a DeSoto Plymouth dealer really has a big investment. And here's what it means to you. It means that because a DeSoto Plymouth dealer is a permanent part of your community, he does everything in his power to treat you courteously, to make you a satisfied customer, a steady customer. He knows that whenever he sells you a new car, whenever he repairs your present car, or whenever he sells you a used car, his reputation is at stake. So it's no wonder that we say, you couldn't do business with a better man than a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And uh, here comes the babysitter and the tall man, all set for the $1,500 DeSoto Plymouth question. Well, tall in the saddle, we'll see how smart you are now. Here we go for $1,500. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully, and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. We asked this question on our very first program more than four years ago. See if you remember it. The United States Gold Depository is at Fort Knox. For $1,500, can you tell me where the Silver Depository is located? West Point. West Point is right! <laughs> Well, that's right. You win $1,500. Uh, you won $1,500 plus how much in the quiz, George? I lost it again. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. Uh, right. $279.94 plus $1,500 is $1,779.94. I still don't believe it. <laughs> anyway, congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. You bet your life. Oh, we're excited. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at the same time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $1,000. 
And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember... See the 1952 DeSoto. And that was the one, the only. And you bet your life. Awesome stuff. Track them down, why don't you? One of the most famous lines Groucho ever uttered during the show was when a lady appeared who had 19 children. When Groucho asked why she'd chosen to raise such a large family, she replied, Well, I love my husband. To which Groucho replied, I love my cigar, but I take it out of my mouth once in a while. (laughs) Anyway, I have a couple of podcasts to recommend to you this week, so whip out those notebooks. First one is The Stinking Paws, which I'm pretty sure that all you discerning movie fans out there will already be in love with. Scott and Charlie do a bally good job of digging deep into why we all love movies. They tend to review three movies per show from all walks and ages of cinema, so do rush along without delay and subscribe like the fury. Second one is a very left-field choice. I guarantee you won't be expecting me to recommend the Fix-It Home Improvement podcast on this, a movie and radio-related bonanza, but prepare to have that expectation kicked in the ghoulies, because I am. It's presented by JC and Cindy, and they do a cracking job, focusing on jobs you can do around the home and providing you with almost a life-hacking guide to practical jobs, really. The episode on barbecuing, especially, has completely rescued my family from the petrified ebony hot dog that has plagued my family barbecues of many summers past. Anyhow, many thanks for listening, and thank you so much for the new iTunes reviews, your most kind. If you hadn't left one already, I'd very much appreciate you popping along and writing one, if only to see how eloquent you all are. Well, that's it from me. I shall be back with you next week. Hope you have a wonderful week, and good luck with your Christmas shopping. Bye for now. You have failed, monk. As a long-time foreign correspondent... I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.